0: Now, there was no place in which the Apostle Paul was, I guess, well, I can't say he wasn't more hated, but he certainly faced more opposition at Corinth than almost any other place that he traveled. He had a number of enemies there, a number of people that were not pleased or happy with him. And the one thing we learn from the Apostle Paul is that every genuine minister of Christ, everyone that serves the Lord Jesus with any type of passion, any type of courage, any type of character, they're going to meet with opposition and persecution. Not only from enemies without the church, outside the doors of the church, but also from false brethren or others within the church. See, not even... Other so-called or professing believers are always excited about the believer who lives a life of holiness and purity. And the Apostle Paul faced a number of things there in the the church at Corinth concerning false brethren or false teachers. He was blameless in his testimony, as far as we can tell. He was very useful to everyone, and yet there were those in, in the midst that wished him evil, who sought him harm, who envied him, who did all they could to undermine him or ruin his reputation and ultimately his influence. And as a result, he speaks out in order to vindicate himself of their lies, and also in order to harm those believers in the church at Corinth who he had loved and ultimately won to Jesus Christ against the charges that they were mounting against him. In chapter 10, verses 1 through 6, the apostle, in a very humble manner, affirms the power of his preaching. He says, listen, I've got power to preach. God has given me this power. And also, he affirms the fact that he has the right to punish offenders. Again, church discipline was exercised in the book book of Corinthians. He then goes on in verses 7 through 11 to reason that particular case with those christians and then also he defends or uh well he defends his relationship with the lord jesus christ and his authority as an apostle of jesus christ and then after 12 verse 12 on he will not and just simply refuses to justify himself before the congregation and before those people or should i say he refuses to employ those same tactics that those false teachers and prophets had been employing, and instead he chooses to take the high road. They maligned him. They, they misrepresented him. But he said, I'm not going to stoop to their level. I'm going to stay on the high road here. And then in chapter 11, our chapter, Paul goes on with this same discourse in opposition to those false teachers, the false apostles, if you will. But at the very beginning, in chapter 11, verse 1, he makes an apology. That's interesting to note that. Why would the Apostle Paul apologize? Well, in chapter 10, as we already noted, he had kind of commended himself or elevated himself, lifted himself up in the eyes of the people. He lifted up his ministry even in the eyes of the people. And he calls this folly. Why? Because more than not, it is folly when anyone... Lifts up themselves or speaks of their merit. you know rarely is that in a in good a good uh, uh, a good vein. I mean that usually ends up in a bad position. I mean you end up in a mess and it's usually prideful, it's arrogance, it's something self-oriented. it has nothing to do with the cause of Christ. in his case, however, it was different. it was necessary. Why was it necessary for the apostle Paul to do that? well, I think, first of all, he understood there would be some that would question his, his motives. Oh, look at him. I mean, he is uh, being extremely uh, arrogant. Oh, oh, yeah, of course. You're going to tell us why you're so fit for this job of being an apostle. And, and of course, he, and he knew there were going to be some that would say those things. So, right off the bat, he tries to bring it down a notch and says, listen. In verse 11, he says, Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly bear with me. Put up with me for just a moment, would you? Would you listen to me and give me your ear? Bear with me, please. Although it was necessary for him to point out his qualifications, if you will, and again, remember, these are the ones he won to Christ. These are those that he went into Asia Minor and risked his life and even found himself being stoned often and persecuted. But no, it was okay. It was important enough to him. They were important enough for him to reach out with the gospel and share that truth with them and to win them to Christ and to organize them and to plant their feet solid on the rock, Jesus Christ. But it still didn't set well with him in spite of that. And You know, it's important for us to note as believers tonight that as much against the grain as it is with a proud man to acknowledge his shortcomings, you know, it's hard for them. If you're prideful, you don't want to admit your weaknesses. You don't want to admit your shortcomings. But understand that as, as, as much against the grain that is for the prideful man, it is equally against the grain for the humble man to speak his own praise. It's just as hard for a man like the Apostle Paul, who was humble, to say, Listen, let me share my credentials with you. Let me tell you why you ought to be very careful with the men and women you're listening to. Why you should listen to me as a result. Here's my ministry. Here's proof of what I have accomplished and what I've sought to accomplish in your life and in this ministry. He says, I've only done that because I'm concerned for you, as we'll find out. But he's a humble man, so he hates to elevate himself or to speak of his own praise. And again, it doesn't bring pleasure to a good person or a good man to speak well of themselves, but in some cases it's necessary. Some cases it's important because there might be others that are helped as a result of it, and in this case it would erase some of the lies that were being perpetuated by these particular false apostles. Now why did he commend himself? Why did he commend his ministry? Why did he say, listen, I've got some credentials. Here they are. Why did Apostle Paul do that on the onset? Well, I believe it's because he desired to preserve the Corinthians from being corrupted. He wanted to keep them from being corrupted. Uh, Those accusations that the false apostles were making were undermining not only his authority, but also undermining the very foundation by which those New Testament Christians were built on. He was afraid that their faith would be so weakened by listening to their unfounded accusations that he thought, I've got to address them. I'm going to have to deal with this. I'm going to have to face it. Again, he had invested in their life. I mean, he had literally given himself to reach them. He loved them with all his heart. And here are these false... Teachers were taking shots at him. So his concern wasn't primarily his reputation, but it was their preservation that he was concerned most about. <clears throat> Paul wasn't doing what he did, commending himself and his ministry to somehow get a pat on the back. His motivation wasn't about trying to say, see, I'm, I'm much more um, qualified to receive your trust and faith than they are. That wasn't what his purpose was. His concern was them and them only, really. Because if they believed the lies of these false apostles, they would lose their trust and confidence in the very ministry that was responsible for leading them to Christ and seeing them saved. So he continues now in the passage. And notice he says that he espoused them to one husband. He espoused them to one husband. (coughs) what he was basically saying was that he converted them to Christianity. Because, see, when you come to Jesus Christ, you enter into a marriage relationship with Jesus. The believer (coughs) literally enters into a covenant relationship with the Creator, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very similar to that relationship that we read about in the New Testament of Mary, who was espoused to Joseph. Although Mary had yet to consummate the marriage or officially enter into that marriage, she was as much married as she could possibly be. The only thing she was waiting on was the actual ceremony and then the consummation. But the espousal meant that she was legally bound to Joseph He was already her husband as much as he could possibly be from the law's perspective. Again, the only thing left to do was to literally stand before, so to speak, and it, so to speak, take place, and then then enter in to that wedding chamber and consummate the marriage. And that is the exact position that you and I find ourselves in as believers today. The moment we trusted Christ, we were espoused to him. That means we are legally his property. We are already his bride. All that remains is the consummation of the marriage. But legally we are already bound. We are his property and his spouse, so to speak. He goes on to tell them, though, that he desired to present them as a chaste virgin. So now he says, you are a spouse to one husband, through the new birth, you've been saved. You've been you've been uh, made part of the body of Christ. Yes, but you're a spouse now to Jesus Christ. You are His bride now. But He says, "I want my desire, my heart is that you be presented as a chaste virgin. Meaning that I want you to stand before Jesus Christ pure." and spotless, and faithful, not having your minds all corrupted with false doctrines by false teachers, even as he goes on to say, as Eve was beguiled by the subtlety of the serpent, even as Eve was beguiled, even as she was tricked and deceived, I, I'm concerned that you're being beguiled tricked and deceived. I don't want you to buy into the lies of these false false apostles and prophets that will try to beguile your mind, cause you to think improperly, ultimately act improperly and live improperly. <clears throat> he wanted each of these believers to ultimately be able to face their espoused husband on their wedding day as a virgin. Pure and clean and faithful. And he loathed the thought of their minds and bodies having been corrupted or being corrupted by these false teachers. The truth is that in every single generation there are those that seek to beguile and corrupt the people of God. Paul says. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Again, we see subtlety versus simplicity. We see a serpent, Satan, subtly deceiving or beguiling the people of God. I want you to realize that it's not going to be that one thing that stands in front of you with a big X on it. It won't be the devil with horns on his head that's going, come on over. Go ahead, you can. You can can do that. That's not going to be what you're going to see. He's too subtle for that. He's going to come to you as an angel of light. He's going to appear to you as something positive, something good, He's going to try to trick you into leaving that which is Christ-like and turning to that which is worldly, corrupt, and sinful even, but believing somehow you did the right thing. He's very subtle. Paul says, I fear, I fear for you. It is the preacher's job. It's the man of God's job. To fear for the purity of the people of God. Anything that is not of faith is what? Sin. Why do I fear for the people of God at this juncture in our ministry? Because I fear many walk by sight and not by faith. Right. Amen. They'll be discouraged by news that they just received today. They'll be concerned that somehow God can't. But God can. Oh, we're still getting started, and we're trusting him to finish it. We're not going to just wait on anything. We're going forward. Yeah. And that's just the way it is. Because we got a God bigger. And the devil may try to beguile us and trick us and to cause us to doubt, but there's no reason to doubt our God. Never has. And the fact is is that Faith begins within a man or a woman. It's not what a man or woman sees that grants him or gives him faith. It is something that has welled up inside them. It's a direct result of a walk with God and a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is exactly what the Apostle Paul desired of the people of God in Corinth. Instead of listening to false prophets, instead of allowing yourself to be beguiled, Instead of listening that there's something wrong with the preacher, something wrong with the leader, something wrong with his doctrine or his theology or his ideology. No, listen, he says. I fear, I fear that you'll be beguiled even as he was by Satan. Our generation is no different than theirs, is it? We are under attack by demonic and devilish forces. Satan wants to devour you tonight. He wants to devour you. In 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8, you can probably quote it. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion. Walketh about what? Seeking whom he may devour. He wants to devour us. He'll use any tactic, any tool to get that accomplished. In John chapter 10 verse 9 through 10, the Lord Jesus says, "I am the door." By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. There's Satan. I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. We know Satan wants to destroy us. He wants to discourage us, of course. But thankfully, thankfully, we believers today have the Lord Jesus Christ who come to earth to grant us a better way. His life is abundant life. His life is abundant life. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he said, for me to live is Christ. Is Christ. It's not a matter of living a life for Christ, it's living Christ's life. And his life, Jesus' life, is more abundant. And as we yield ourselves to Him and allow Him to live through us, it is an abundant life, more abundant than we could ever imagine. But remember this, and don't forget this. You and I entered into a covenant relationship with Christ when we were saved. As a result, you are espoused to Him. And we, all of us, if we know Christ today, await a day when we will stand with our husband before the eternal preacher and get married. Every last one of us that know Christ. And it cannot be forgotten that when we were saved, we were made clean. Therefore, the moment we trusted Christ and were espoused to Him, we were a virgin, pure and clean. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, the Bible says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, I want you to understand the awful price that Christ himself paid so that you and I could be clean. Clean. Not be saved, but clean. Because there is no salvation without being clean. We use the word, I'm saved. It's like this umbrella that protects us from any kind of recourse. Recourse from sin almost as if now that i'm saved i can do what i want sometimes i don't have to worry about being clean anymore i I, the lord made me clean i'm saved though i'm saved now and as long as i'm saved i'm safe it's almost as though that's the goal just to be safe at home man i want to hit a home run i don't want to have to slide in home plate i want to knock it over the wall and go in walking And I'm just saying today that if we're not careful, we get the idea, we kind of conjure up this mental mental picture that as long as I'm saved, it's all right. Everything will be fine. Oh, I know I'm not perfect, and I know I make mistakes, and I realize I have shortcomings, and I know that my lust and my desires sometimes run amok, and I realize I'm not exactly what Christ wants me to be, but I'm saved. No, he says you're to be clean. Paul says, I fear you're being beguiled. My concern is that you're offered as a chaste virgin to Jesus Christ. Then one day you stand before your husband and you can say, I'm pure. I am spotless. I have been faithful. I'm a virgin. Look, if you will, in Revelation 19, you say, I don't know. I don't know if that picture stands. And I I hear what you're saying. But wait a second. I'll remember now, before we get too far off base here, He says, I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Sounds like a wedding's going to take place. I don't think I'm stretching it too much. Now, there are some things maybe that we could probably debate, but the reality is we're going to stand with God one day. The wedding will take place. The feast will take place. The consummation will take place. We are to be offered as a chaste virgin. Notice in Revelation, here we see evidence of it. Revelation 19, verse 7. Now, before we move on, understand that after verse 11, we could go on into, and we're going to see this, the return of Jesus Christ to the earth to set up and establish His millennial kingdom. So, we've already stood before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat, and now what we have is this wedding feast. Notice what's taking place here between the time we are raptured having the judgment seat of Christ, and now before he returns, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come. There it is. That's the day the Apostle Paul was speaking to the Corinthians about. And he says, And his wife hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Now let me say this. The Lord is going to ensure that we're clean by that point. But for the sake of my message, I want you to keep in mind again, how will you present yourself to your husband? I want you to think about that. Not as a corporate body, but as an individual. Notice he goes on to say, And to her, verse 8, was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet and worshipped him. And he said unto me, See, thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now here it is. And I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. So what we have is the return of Christ there in verse 11. Before that, we have this marriage supper taking place. That means the consummation of the marriage has now taken place. Literally, that which was on earth has been united with Christ. The consummation has taken place. It is completed. All right, I have a couple things here. I'm going to. There we go. That's kind of hard for you guys to see that over there. There we go. All right. First of all, is anybody here interested in candy? Would anybody like a candy box? Come on up there, Scott. Come on up, buddy. Now, what I have here, I'll cover Reese's cups. just want you to look at them. See that one? Looks like it got stepped on, didn't it? Yeah. It's beat up pretty bad, isn't it? Well, let me tell you, it did. <laughs> See, there's dirt on it and everything else, right? Yeah. What do you think about that one? That one doesn't look beat up or dirty at all, does it? No. Let me ask you, which one do you want? That one. You want this one? Yeah. <laughs> you you want this one. You don't want this one that's been all beat up and... Stepped on and run through the muck and mire, huh? You want this one. All right, go ahead. That's your one. go ahead. Oh, yeah, that's all right. You don't have to apologize. I think I'd probably wanted that one too. How many of you would have wanted that one? Yeah. Absolutely. Alright, let's see. Let's see. Here we go. We got two bottles of water. Anybody thirsty tonight? Anybody thirsty? Anybody thirsty tonight? Can't tell? Let's see here. Is that is that you is that Jessica back there? I can't tell because my eyes are bad. It's real blue. Come on up here, Jessica, real fast. Come on up here. Look at this. I got two bottles of water here. <clears throat> All right? Two bottles of water. Now, I'm just kind of curious. Which of these bottles would you prefer? You want this one? Why do you want this one over there? <laughs> you mean like it's kind of dirty? You mean like somebody opened it up and threw dirt in it? Yeah, maybe that's because I did. <laughs> you would rather have this, so you want this one over this one. All right. Yeah, go ahead. Who else would have wanted that particular bottle versus this one? I mean, to drink now. I'm not talking about take home, put on your shelf, and say the pastor gave me that. I'll cherish it the rest of my life. Maybe not. Okay, here we go. Who likes to read in here? Anybody like to read? like to read? Right? Anybody like to read? All right? I don't know. Let's see here. All right, right there. Come on up. You sure you like to read? Okay, I got I got two books for you, alright? You choose one or the other. Okay, you you get this book. Kinda kinda beat up. Or you can have this book, the, the Bible promise book. Looks like it's pretty good shape, doesn't it? Which book would you prefer right now? You why? <laughs> looks like it got run over by a truck, he said. Well, it didn't get run over by a truck, but I ran it over, all right? Right there, buddy. With that, I ran it over, right there. It's called a bicep strength. Go ahead, take that one. Now, listen, how many of you would have rather had that book than this book? Yeah. Absolutely. Now, again, we're not, we're not, it's, not, it's not a tough decision here. It's really not that hard. Now, listen, can you imagine with me for just a moment that you enter into an engagement with a man or a woman. And then you find out at the altar on the wedding day that they'd been unfaithful. How would that make you feel? I mean, just a moment ago, Everybody had an opportunity to take that which was basically pure, faithful, good. Or to make a choice between that which has been used, abused, and dirtied up. And every one of them chose that which was clean, that which was faithful, that which was pure, so to speak. Nobody wanted to beat up, nasty, stepped on. Reese's Cup or the muddy, dirty water or the book that had been run over by preacher's bicep. They all wanted the opposite. You want to know something? You would want the opposite too. Standing at that altar, thinking just for a moment with me, here she or he comes down that aisle. There they are. I've waited my whole life for this moment. When I met them, when we were engaged, when we made the commitment to one another to get married and to spend our life together, we were both pure, both clean. But now it's the wedding day. He walks forward and he whispers in your ear very quickly and says, I'm no longer faithful. I didn't live faithfully between the time we were engaged and the time we got married. Can you imagine how you'd feel, ladies? Gentlemen, can you imagine how you'd feel if she strolled up that aisle in her beautiful white gown, her face glowing behind the veil, and she makes her way onto the stage and you begin to take her arm. She says, I want you to know I wasn't faithful since we've been engaged. Oh, how would you feel? Oh, no problem. Let's get married. Hold on. Will the Lord Jesus Christ get a chaste virgin, pure and spotless, having been faithful in this life to Him? Or will He get the opposite one day? Put yourself in the Lord's shoes, would you? Who left heaven, gave up his very best, suffered, bled, and died, only to get to the altar and find out we have betrayed his trust. The Apostle Paul says, But I fear lest by any means, as the servant beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. Now I contend with you today that living a holy life is a choice. It's a simple decision. I didn't say it was a simple journey. But it is a simple decision. A decision that each and every believer must make on their very own. You don't make it as a church. You don't make it as a family. You make it as an individual. I will offer myself before you one day as a chaste virgin, pure, clean, And faithful, Lord. And I will not allow anything to corrupt what you have cleansed. You say, I've already messed up. Then you know what? As of this day, you need to make that commitment to the Lord. You can't change your past, but you can change the future. And the Bible tells us in 1 John 1 9, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What kind of bride will you be? What kind of bride will you be at that wedding? Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership today. And Lord, living clean and pure in this world is a real challenge. But it's been a challenge in every generation, Lord. The Corinthians, they had a challenge. Fortunately, they had an apostle. They had a preacher that shared that concern for their purity. Father, help us today as we have heard concern shared. we not spurn the warning, but may we instead receive it and understand, Lord, that there's a day coming and it's already predestined. We've already been espoused. We're already your bride. Help us, father, not to take it lightly, but to instead be very careful that we as individuals will be chaste, clean and pure. When we stand before you to enter in to that marriage. We're espoused, we're legally bound. May we now do our part to remain pure while we wait to consummate the wedding, the marriage. Help us as believers today, in Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. Jesus, keep me near the cross, that song says. There's no perfect people in here, we're all sinners. But that doesn't give us an excuse to do what we want, to live how we choose. We're to constantly battle the flesh because we are espoused to Jesus Christ. He's not only our Lord, He's our husband. We owe Him more than we can ever imagine. take all too lightly this thing we call salvation so lightly God help us God help us remember the price that was paid the need that faces us this day There's a world that's in need of a believer who's chaste and pure, who can show the difference between that which is in this life as an unbeliever and that which is in this life as a believer. How noticeable of a difference do we represent for our Lord? Anybody want that water? The muddy one. You want that greasy cup that's been trampled on, stepped on, drugged through the mud and dirt? Throw that right in your mouth and let it melt in your mouth? No, none of us want that. You know what? I don't think the Lord wants that from us either. May God help us to be chaste in this life.